The following sermon is brought to you by Cornerstone Baptist Church. For more information on our teaching and preaching ministry, visit us online at cornerstoneorlando.org. The title of our sermon this morning is Our Incomparable Glory. Romans chapter 8, verse 18, our incomparable glory. And welcome back now to our verse-by-verse exposition of this uh, wonderful epistle of Paul to the church at Rome. And in the text now, under our consideration this morning, specifically Romans chapter 8, verse 18, Paul has shifted our attention from the, the blessed status of the one who has been justified by faith alone in Christ alone, now to the sobering reality of suffering in the present and ongoing experience of the Christian. Throughout a life in which the Christian has continuous cause for joy, continuous cause for rejoicing in that life, throughout that life, there will be periods of trial and tribulation. The creation has been subjected to futility. We suffer under the bondage of corruption. The whole of creation groans and labors together with birth pangs until now. And we ourselves groan, don't we? Uh, Eagerly awaiting the fullness of our redemption. Suffering, suffering is the promised portion of God's people in this life. 1 Peter 2, verse 21, For to this you were called... Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. We've been called to this. Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. For you, to you, it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus. Who are those? Those are Christians. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. However, however, although that suffering may occupy the the attention or the focus of our present experience, it does not even constitute a reasonable balance on the scales of our present reality. Our present experience may not match our present reality. Suffering and difficulty in this age notwithstanding, there is fast coming a day in which we will be ushered into our place in the age to come to take possession of an inheritance that is reserved there for us, an unimaginable inheritance, an inheritance of unfathomable value, an inheritance wherein we will be delivered from our bondage to corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. To make this point, Paul sets those two things in comparison to one another. To make his point, to begin his argument, Paul sets those two aspects of Christian experience, Christian experience, Christian reality, in comparison with one another, placing them, for example, on two opposing sides of a ledger, on either sides of a scale. On one side of the ledger, the suffering of the Christian life, the suffering of the Christian in his present life, in his present experience. On the other side of the ledger, the glory afforded the Christian in the life to come. On one side of the scale, so to speak, in the balance, the light and momentary afflictions that we face in this age, and on the other side of the scale, in the balance, the exceeding and eternal weight of glory in the age to come. Having placed those realities in comparison upon the scales, 
Paul calls us to draw the obvious and inevitable conclusion. The sufferings, the difficulties, the adversity that we face in our present experience in this life as we live for Christ are not even worthy, should not even be compared, cannot even be compared with the glory that will be ours in the life to come. The glory that will be ours in union with Jesus Christ. Now Paul opens his argument in verse 18. For I consider, Paul says, that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. It begins in verse 18 with for or because. For or because. Although we most certainly will suffer with Christ in this life. That's verse 17. We will most certainly suffer. Paul says, I consider, I've made a judgment, I've determined, I've calculated all of the evidence, and I've come to the conclusion that the sufferings of this present time, literally the now time, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy. They're simply undeserving to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in or through us. So, that being said, we're not going to talk about suffering anymore. We're only going to talk about the glory. (laughs) We've done enough. We've spent enough time talking about the suffering, so I guess we just need to put suffering aside, lay suffering aside, and only focus our attention on the glory. It's just not worthy to be compared. Is that what Paul means? No, it's not what Paul means. Paul's not diminishing the reality of our suffering, is he? He's not downcasting the reality of our present experience. Suffering is something we have to contend with. And we have to contend with suffering in faith. We have to trust the Lord through our suffering. But our suffering, our suffering, is something that we should see in comparison with our future inheritance. Suffering, our suffering in this life, our present experience, our adversity, our difficulties, the trouble that we face, the trials and the tribulations, all of that should be, must be seen in comparison or with the perspective or through the lens of our future glory, our future inheritance. And when we see our suffering from that vantage point, we see our suffering more as we should. So what is Paul doing here? Paul's training us to look at our suffering biblically, to look at our suffering correctly. And if I had two scales uh, on a balance and we were to put dust on one of them, certainly the scale would go down with that dust, right? But as soon as you put a bar of gold on the other, what happens to the scale? There's no comparison. It's as though the dust wasn't even there, right? We're to see our present circumstances, our difficulty, our adversity. We're to see our adversity in light of the glory that awaits us. They're not worthy to be compared. And so let's put them up for comparison and see where the weight should go. Amen? That difficulty, that suffering is momentary. It is light. It will come to an end. Our suffering will come to an end. And it's light when you consider the reward for our perseverance. Our suffering cannot bear the weight of comparison. It simply cannot be compared. Much as the the light of an ember would fail when compared with the noonday sun. Much as though a feather on one of the scales in the balance would compare to a block of gold on the other. We compare the two through the eyes of faith. We don't experience the benefits and the blessings of our inheritance now. That inheritance, that glory, shall be revealed in the future. So we compare the two through the eyes of faith. Soon, we're going to be able to compare through the lens of actual experience. When God will wipe away every tear from our eyes, 
Soon we'll be able to compare when there will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. The former things passed away. And in the light of eternity, in the light of eternity, at his right hand, where there are pleasures forevermore, what then will be our perspective on the sufferings and the difficulties of this life? What then will be our view? The sufferings of this present time will not be worthy to be compared. Do you see Paul's point? Will not be worthy to be compared with that glory. Now Paul's going to make this point on the basis of three considerations in our text. First, our present experience. Second, our future glory. And third, our objective appraisal. Our present experience, our future glory, and our objective appraisal. First now, Paul describes our present experience in verse 18 as the sufferings of this present time. The sufferings of this present time. Literally, this now time. If we considered this uh, at some length in our study of the condition that we saw in verse 17, we considered that condition in verse 17, we are heirs with Christ if we suffer with Christ, and we must suffer with, with him if we are to be glorified with him then having assured us of the glories that await us in the age to come, Paul having laid a foundation uh, with that inheritance that is to be to us an anchor for our soul, Paul now turns his attention to the storms and tempests that will most certainly be ours in this age. Now, what does that suffering involve? What does that suffering involve? Well, in this life, what is that present experience? There are many ways in which that suffering manifests itself. First, We'll suffer the infirmities and the weaknesses of our present bodies. We suffer under infirmities and weaknesses and sickness, even death. Our outward man is perishing, some of us more evidently so than others. (laughs) Uh, Verse 23, we groan within ourselves. Many of you woke up this morning groaning. The whole creation groans and labors with pain. It cultivates a greater desire to be with him, doesn't it? Second Corinthians chapter 5, it would be better if I were with the Lord, right? To be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. Very often we face physical suffering simply because we live in a fallen world. And in this world, we face the consequences of the first sin and our own sin. Paul says the body is sown in corruption. The body is sown in dishonor. The body is sown in weakness. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 47. The first man was of the earth made of dust, and as was the man of dust, so also those who are made of dust. We're going to bear that image. The man born blind in John chapter 9, for example. He didn't suffer for his own sin. He didn't suffer for his parents' sin. He suffered that the works of God might be revealed in him. There are many reasons why we suffer, but we suffer the physical infirmities of living in this flesh, don't we? We will suffer physical infirmity. Secondly, we're going to suffer sorrow, suffer grief and loss. Loved ones, people that we care about die. We've had that happen in our church here recently. Often that sorrow, that grief is related to living simply in a fallen world. And we suffer under the effects of the fall. Sometimes that sorrow and grief is related to sin. Sometimes we suffer under the consequences of someone else's sin. And often we suffer under the consequences of our own sin. We're going to suffer sorrow and grief and loss. Third, we'll suffer the discipline of God. 
If you're a child of God, you'll suffer the discipline of God as as of a heavenly father. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7, listen. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we've had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he chastens us for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. And no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So we'll suffer the discipline, the chastening of God. Fourth, Christians will suffer persecution for Christ's sake, as we learned last week. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, yes, and all who desire to live godly in this present age will suffer persecution. Fifth, in addition to suffering the hostility of this world, we also suffer the destructive influence of our own remaining sin. We suffer under our remaining corruption. And all God's people can certainly say amen to that, right? Suffer under the weight of our own sin, doing the very things that we don't want to do, the very things that we do want to do, we don't do. Suffering under our remaining corruption. Who will deliver us from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Sixth, We're going to suffer the assaults of this world. We're going to suffer the assaults of our own flesh. We also suffer the assaults of our adversary, the devil, the accuser of the brethren. For these reasons and for others, we can think of many, can't we? We will suffering. We will suffer. And this suffering is appointed for this present age, our present experience. Hebrews says that others suffered in these ways. They were tortured not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trials of mockings, scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. Why were they suffering so? Because Jesus Christ suffered and left them an example to follow in his steps, right? They left him, he left them an example. All these, it says, verse 39, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. We're going to suffer, and some will suffer as they did. We're all going to face suffering in this present life. That is the present experience of the Christian. We will suffer Paul doesn't encourage us in his example here, in his comparison, in verse 18, Paul doesn't encourage us to simply disregard present suffering. Paul calls us to suffer well. Paul calls us to suffer for the glory of God. Paul calls us to suffer after the example of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul doesn't diminish the real difficulty of present suffering. He doesn't diminish or demean the purpose of our suffering. Paul calls us to suffer well. However, as significant as that suffering may be, as difficult as the adversity that we may face may be, as significant as that suffering may be, it will come to an end. It will come to an end. And those who suffer well through faith in Jesus Christ, those who suffer with the knowledge, as those did in Hebrews 11, 
those who suffer with the knowledge that something better awaits us in our union with Jesus Christ, those who suffer well will inherit. Consider him, Hebrews says, who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. We're to suffer after his example. So Paul then, Paul records, as it were, all of that suffering on one side of the ledger. Let's say the left side of the ledger. Paul considers that present experience, all of that suffering, and he loads up, all of that suffering, loads it up on the left side of the ledger. And now calls us to consider our promised future glory on the right side of the ledger. We're to consider our promised future glory. We have weighed down on the left side of the scale all the suffering of this present experience, all the sickness, all the pain, all the grief, all the sorrow, all the hostility, all the sin, all the shame that we face in this life, we've loaded up the left side of the scale, and now Paul calls us to consider what has been recorded on the right side of the ledger, what has been loaded on the right side of the scale, namely our future glory. In the language of Romans 8.18, it is the glory which shall be revealed in or toward us. In the language of the text, Paul communicates certainty. It shall be revealed. It's a glory that is certain, a revelation of glory that is inevitable. It is promised by God, and God cannot lie. He cannot deny himself. In the language of Romans chapter 4, verse 16, that gift, that inheritance, that glory is given through faith. It is through faith so that it might be according to grace. And it is all of grace so that it might be certain to all the seed of Abraham. It's exclusively through grace, having nothing to do with us, because if it had something to do with us, we wouldn't inherit, you see? We'd be doomed. It is entirely of grace, and because it's entirely of grace, it is certain. It is sure. Now notice in verse 18, it's a glory that's now veiled to us. It's now veiled. It's a glory that shall be in the future unveiled. It's a glory that shall be in the future revealed in us. Now, verse 19, that glory now veiled. Verse 19, that revealing takes place when the sons of God are revealed. You notice the connection there? Verse 21, the revelation of that glory corresponds to the children of God being delivered from the bondage of corruption and into their glorious liberty. Verse 23, that revealing, that unveiling, takes place at our full adoption, the redemption of our body. In other words, it's a glory we're waiting for. This is a glory that takes place in the future. It'll be revealed in us or unveiled to us in the future. It's a glory revealed in us when Christ, who is our life, himself, when he appears in glory. Look at Colossians chapter 3, 1 with me. Colossians chapter 3. Turn there with me. In Colossians chapter 3, in verse 1, Paul is exhorting believers to heavenly-mindedness as opposed to worldly-mindedness. We're not to occupy our thoughts with the things of this world. Rather, we're to set our hearts and minds upon the things of God. So Paul is exhorting us to heavenly-mindedness, and he says this in verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ, then seek those things which are above. We looked at that in Romans chapter 6. His resurrection from the dead has become our resurrection from the dead, and we are raised to walk in newness of life. So if then, verse 1, if you've been raised to walk in newness of life, then don't focus your attention on those things from your former life. 
Don't focus your attention on worldly things. If you were raised with Christ, then seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on things on the earth, right? Set your mind on things of the spirit, he would say in Romans. Four, because, verse three, you died. You died to sin and self and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And, verse 4, when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, how are we to live in light of that? Right? If that future glorification is ours in Jesus Christ, then that future glorification has invaded our present experience, and that ultimate conformity to the Lord Jesus Christ, to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, that conformity begins now with your sanctification. We're ultimately going to be conformed into his image. That conformity begins now with your sanctification. It has invaded present experience. We are to live that way for him now. Therefore, verse 5, live as citizens of that kingdom. Live as citizens of that kingdom with that glory. Put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you once in the past lived in them. Do you see? We're going to appear in glory when he appears in glory. We do not yet know what that will be, but we know that when we see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. The glory with which he appears will be a glory that we'll have with him. Do you see? His glory, our glory. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, <laughs> that text. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed. It has not yet been unveiled. It is presently veiled to us. It has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. In the words or the language of Colossians 3, verse 4, when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, what is the nature of that glory that Paul's referring to there? When we take possession of that inheritance that is ours with God and joint heirs with Christ, what is the nature of that glory? What is the nature of that inheritance? It's veiled now. It will be revealed then. But is there anything that we can know about it now? And yes, there is from Scripture. Dr. Martin, on our text, he summarized what we can know of that glory, which is yet to be revealed, a glory which corresponds to our heavenly inheritance. He summarized that glory with references to three categories or under three headings. The glory which shall be revealed in us will be, one, the glory of our reign with Christ, two, the glory of our conformity to Christ, and three, the glory that we behold in Christ. The glory which shall be revealed in us, we can know from Scripture, will be a glory that corresponds to at least those three categories. The glory of our reign, the glory of our conformity to Christ, the glory that we behold in Christ. First, consider with me the glory that will be revealed in us through our reign with Jesus Christ. We currently live between the first coming and the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We live during the church age. He came first, we know, as a suffering servant. Came to die so that he could redeem God's people to himself. He came as a suffering servant. And he will return when he comes again in glory. He'll return as a conquering and victorious king. And the Bible explicitly, explicitly states that we will rule and reign with him. 
we're going to rule and reign with him. Revelation chapter 1, verse 6, he has made us kings and priests to our God. Revelation chapter 3, verse 21, to him who overcomes, I will sit, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. We're going to sit on a throne with Jesus Christ ruling and reigning with him as he took the throne uh, at his ascension. Revelation 19. Turn there with me to Revelation chapter 19. The glory which shall be revealed in us in part consists of our glory in reigning with the Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation 19. At the return of Jesus Christ, a great multitude proclaims in verse 6, verse 6, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her, verse 8, and to the bride, right, to the wife. Who is that? That's the church, the saints of the Most High. To her, it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. They are wrapped, robed, clothed in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then verse 11, look at verse 11. Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire. On his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. He's not coming back as a suffering servant, is he? And the armies in heaven, verse 14, the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Who is that? Those are the saints. You see, they're robed the same way in verse 8. The armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, they followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. With it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We will rule and reign with him. We come with him on white horses as the hosts, as the armies of heaven at his return. Do you see? Our glory is revealed when his glory is revealed. Our glory is revealed when we share in his victory. His victory has become our victory in union with him. We share with him in his glory. The revelation of his glory at the end of the age will be the revelation of our glory at the end of the age. The Lord prayed that for us. If you remember, John chapter 17 in the Lord's high priestly prayer, listen to this from verse 20 there. He prays not for the disciples alone, those 12, but also for all those who would believe in him through their word. He prays for us. And he prays this to the Father. The glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. Whatever the glory is that will be revealed in us will be a glory that Jesus Christ gives to us and it will be the glory that God the Father has given to him. Do you see? The glory which you gave me in his finished work, in his accomplished victory, I have given them so that they may be one just as we are one, I in them, you in me, that they may be made perfect in one. Part of that revealed glory will be the perfection of God's people. 
that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. It's an astounding, an astounding statement. The glory which was given to the risen and exalted Christ is a glory that he himself has shared with us who are in union with himself. The glory which God had given him, he has given to us. Paul says to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11, this is a faithful saying. It is worthy of all acceptance. It is axiomatic that if we died with him, we shall also live with him. And if we endure, we shall also reign with him. Reign with him. That reign with him, including possessing the kingdom, ruling and reigning, exercising dominion. Paul says, we'll judge angels. So whatever that glory is that's going to be revealed in us, that's veiled now, that we will be revealed when he comes, that glory, in part, is a reign with the Lord Jesus Christ, a reign that includes possessing the kingdom, exercising dominion, ruling and reigning, judging angels. It's a glory that God the Father has given to God the Son, a glory that God the Son then has shared with us. We one in him, and he and us one in the Father. And it's a glory, it's a glory given to the Son, do the Father's love for the Son. And as he is, so are we in this world. It's an awesome glory, the glory of our reign with the Lord Jesus Christ. But secondly, secondly, that glory which shall be revealed in us, is the glory of our conformity to his perfect person. The glory of our conformity to Christ. Listen to this from Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will, future active, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body. We will be transformed in such a way that our lowly person, our lowly body, will be conformed to his glorious body. We have been predestined to be conformed into his image. According to it says there, verse 21, to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. In his omnipotent power with which he is subduing all things to himself, he will transform our lowly body to be conformed to his glorious body. Romans eight seventeen. having suffered together with him, we shall be glorified together with him. He will transform our body that it may be conformed to, that it may be exactly like, <laughs> that it will be like unto his glorious body. And he does that with omnipotent power. Paul is speaking there of our glorification. Our glorification, the transformation of our body, but certainly the transformation of ourselves, the ridding of sin from us forever. It's the transformation of our very person. It's a transformation that begins in this life with our sanctification. And the more that we know him, the more that we see him, the more our knowledge of him grows, the more that we are conformed into that image until, as John says, he is revealed. And when he is revealed, on that day, when he is revealed, that glory shall be revealed in us. Why? Because we see him with the eyes of sight now, not just with the eyes of faith, right? John describes him as him whom having not seen, you love. In that day, we're going to see him. We're going to see him. And as we learn, as we learn of him, 
as we grow in our knowledge of him, as we mature in our knowledge and our understanding of who he is and what he's done, as we know him, the spirit of God working within us conforms us through the word into his image. We become more like him, right? We even use that terminology. We become more Christ-like. That's part of our sanctification. Our sanctification is to become Christ-like, to become more like him. And the more that we know him, the more like him we become. Well, when we see him in that day, when he's revealed, we'll see him as he is. With glorified eyes, with a glorified understanding, with a glorified heart, as glorified as a glorified person, and we'll behold him as he is, to know him fully is to become like him fully. Do you see? And that glory will be revealed in us when we see him. Whatever that glory is that is veiled now that will be revealed in that day will be a glory that includes perfect conformity to his person. And Paul is speaking of glorification. We shall be made perfect as Christ is perfect. Non passe pecare. Not able to sin. <laughs> awesome. Finally de delivered from this body of death, Romans 7. What had been predestined before the foundation of the world, namely our conformity into the image of his son, will at last be complete. Complete. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, listen to verse 48. However, verse 46, the spiritual is not first, but the natural. Afterward, the spiritual. The first man was made of earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And is as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. As we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. So that glory, which shall be revealed in us in that day, first is a glory in reigning with Jesus Christ. Secondly, involves a glory in being like Christ, being conformed to his image. Thirdly, it's the glory of beholding Christ. Consider again with me, turn with me to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. And consider with me the high priestly prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ again there. And look there with me at John 17 at verse 22. And again, uh, the Lord begins uh, by praying for the disciples. But then specifically says, I don't pray for them alone, but I also pray for those who would believe in Jesus, believe in him through their word. You and I have come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ through the words of his apostle. And it's us here that Jesus Christ is praying for him. Look at verse 22. And the glory which you gave me, he says this to the Father, the glory which the Father has given him, he says, I have given them so that in glory they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may be made perfect in one. Can you see there the language of our conformity to the Lord Jesus Christ? We've been predestined to be conformed in the image of his son so that we may be made perfect in him, perfect in one. And that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Our sharing in Christ's exaltation glory and our sharing in the glory of Christ's exalted being. We share in that and, verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me 
may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me. We're going to be with him in part for the purpose that we may behold his glory. That glory which shall be revealed in us and revealed toward us will be the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And we'll behold that glory in its full technicolor splendor when we see him in that day. That they may behold my glory which you have given me because that glory that you've given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. It's a glory that God the Father gave to God the Son because God the Father loves the Son. Do you see? Now, the glory which shall be revealed in us and to us will be the very glory of Christ himself. And notice, that glory of Christ himself is a glory that's given to the Son by the Father, and that glory is a reflection of the Father's love for the Son. It's a glory that reflects the Father's own love for his Son. And that's a love, that's a glory that Christ shares with us. Notice what he prays next, verse 25. Notice this. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me, and I have declared to them your name and will declare it, so that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. And the glory, think with me now, the glory which shall be revealed in us, brothers and sisters, will be like unto that glory which is revealed in Jesus Christ because of the love with which the Father loves Christ. And that glory will be in us and shown toward us. In other words, God the Father loves God the Son with an immeasurable and in a, in a, in a perfect love. And so God the Father glorifies God the Son. His, the glory that he gives to the Son is a reflection of his own love for the Son. And that glory will be the same glory that he gives to us because he loves us in Jesus Christ. He loves us in the way that he has loved, the Father loves us the way that he loves Christ. <laughs> or that's what Jesus is praying for here, that you loved them as you have loved me. And the glory which the Father has bestowed upon the Son is the glory that the Father will bestow upon us in union with him. His glory becomes our glory. Whatever that is, that glory that will be revealed in that day will be a glory that the Father has bestowed on the Son because of his great love that he has for the Son. And that's the same glory that we're going to share in. That is glorious. Amen? Whatever that is, that is tremendous. That's glorious. As he is, so are we in this world. Sinful as we are in this world, right? undeserving as we are, in grace, and God shares that glory with us. Men in this world shield their faces at mere traces of his glory. At the mere traces of his glory. Moses hid his face in the cleft of the rock. Peter on the beach in Luke chapter 5, depart from me, O Lord, I'm a sinful man. Depart from me. One glimpse of the edges of Christ's glory, and Peter is hiding his face. Those who came to arrest him in the garden fell to the ground at a word, at a word. When John saw him in a vision, Revelation chapter 1, he fell to the ground as a dead man. When our lowly bodies are conformed to his glorious body, when we are conformed into his image and without sin, then we shall behold him in the full splendor of his glory. 
we shall behold him as he is. And that glory we'll share with him. The Father loves us in union with him. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21. And look there at verse 22. This is a vision given to John of the new heavens and the new earth, the new Jerusalem. And in verse 22, John says, I saw no temple in it, in the heavenly Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem. I saw no temple in it because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it because the glory of God illuminated illuminated it and the Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light The kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. And anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And we shall walk in the glory of God, walk in the glory of the Son, beholding his face. What does uh, the Lord say in the the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall... See God. Jude, verse 24, listen. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. We're going to be presented faultless before the presence of his glory. And that in the presence of his glory will be exceedingly joyful. To God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. So in consideration then of Romans chapter 8, verse 18, we've thought about the suffering associated with our present experience. And on the other side of the ledger, on the other side of the scale, we've explored the nature of our future glory. Now there is much of our future glory that's veiled to us. What we know, we know from Scripture, what God has revealed. And it's only going to be fully revealed when the Lord himself is revealed in glory. But what we know, what we've been shown, and what we can imagine with a sanctified imagination is tremendous, isn't it? An exceeding weight. So then, third, what then must be our objective appraisal of this comparison? Paul considers the evidence. He calculates the facts And he comes to a conclusion. Verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. The glory of reigning with Christ as kings. right? The glory that Christ himself has shared with us. The glory of being conformed into his image. The glory of the Lord Jesus Christ himself beholden by us in eternity. We've considered our present suffering. We've considered our future glory. Paul considers the matter and comes to a conclusion. He weighs the evidence. He makes a calculated judgment. Paul says in his own estimation, the suffering of this present life is not worthy to be compared. It's not worthy to be compared. Suffering in comparison to the glory is an immeasurably small thing. We can't even compare the two. Paul says this. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Compared with the glory that shall be revealed to us in the future, suffering in comparison to the glory 
is an immeasurably small thing. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. This is how this is to um, impact our present life for Christ. We're not to lose heart. We can't lose heart in our present experience, in our present suffering, in our present difficulty, our present adversity. Why? Because we have this to look forward to. We do not lose heart, verse 16, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. We're being conformed to Christ's image in anticipation of that glory. For our light affliction, verse 17, which is but for a moment, it is coming to an end. That affliction is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. That affliction, as we face that affliction, looking not at our affliction or our circumstances, but at looking, but at, looking at the things which are not seen, those eternal things in the heavens, that, that affliction is producing for us or working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. The things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now picture with me, if you will again, a set of scales. We can think of weighing something on the scales. On the one side, you have a momentary or temporary, fleeting, passing, short-lived, light affliction. On the other side of the scales, you have a far more exceeding weight of eternal glory. The two are utterly out of proportion. Unaffected by time, entirely beyond all measure, undiminished forever, will be our glory. This suffering we face in this present time is light and momentary. Insignificant or trifling by comparison. It doesn't feel insignificant in the moment, right? It doesn't feel that way in the moment, but by comparison, it is. Do you see? By comparison, it is. How will we consider that when we're in heaven? We're going to consider it insignificant and trifling. Our present suffering on one side of the scale is not sufficient weight to even be compared with the gold bricks of glory which are pulling down the other side of the scale. Do you see? Grains of dust on one side, bars of gold on the other. Suffering in this life can feel heavy and long. But in comparison with eternity, it is momentary and light. The more that that eternal perspective presses into your life now, the more that that eternal perspective becomes the lens through which we see the suffering of this life. That perspective needs to infiltrate your life now. That lens needs to be the lens through which you view your suffering now. The more that we see or look at our suffering through that lens now, the more that we see now in our present experience that our afflictions are light and momentary in comparison. How do we do that? We do that through faith in Jesus Christ, trusting in God for his promise, by meditating on our future inheritance, by meditating on our contemplating our future glory, fixing our gaze upon, upon eternal and unseen things in the heavens, fixing your gaze Focusing your thoughts on those things, on the glory in the language of Romans 8.18, on the glory which shall be revealed in us. If what you endure for the sake of Christ is a means by which God is glorified, then our affliction is light and momentary by comparison. Isn't it? If what you suffer is a means by which God is glorified, then what we suffer is 
really can't be compared. If we consider the glorious blessings that we inherit with Christ, reigning with him, being conformed into his image, the glory of Christ himself as we behold him face to face, as we think about that magnificent inheritance that is ours in union with him, then our present suffering is momentary and light by comparison, isn't it? That's what Paul's saying. If you consider what we truly deserve, if you consider, if we acknowledge that, then truly suffering in this life is momentary and light, isn't it? I mean, what is it that you deserve? What is it that we should get? You should get death and you should get hell. But God has been merciful to us and gracious to us. We have his promises. We have his love in Christ. Our suffering then is momentary and light by comparison. If you stop to consider the suffering and an affliction that the Lord himself endured for you, our suffering is momentary and light, isn't it? His shed blood, how he bore the wrath that you deserved, how he drank to the dregs that cup of wrath that was apportioned for you, how he was despised and rejected by men, how he took our shame upon himself, our sin, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, how he bore your grief, then our afflictions are light and momentary, aren't they, in comparison? If you reject his mercy and grace, then your affliction will be heavy and long. You know, acknowledge that, consider that for a moment. If you reject the Lord Jesus Christ and continue to live life for yourself, and you stand before God to pay the penalty for your own sins, then your affliction will be heavy and long. And in the same way that that, uh, our momentary light affliction in this present life is not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us, your momentary light affliction in this life will not be worthy to be compared with the torment that you'll face forever in eternity, bearing the wrath of God for your sin. The same holds true if we put those two on either side of the ledger not worthy to be compared, and your grief will be heavy and eternal. How little, how trifling a thing to give your life now to follow him in comparison to that, right? When eternal life and eternal glory sits on the other side of the ledger, when eternal life, eternal glory, eternal blessedness sits on the other side of the scale, our life is a trifling thing. Freely give it up. (laughs) Freely abandon your life for that, for those riches, for that glory, for that goodness from God. But when we consider the future glory to be revealed in us, then truly the suffering of this present life is light and momentary. So we face difficulty in our lives, then, brothers and sisters. As we face adversity, we have to face that difficulty, that suffering, and view it through the lens of an eternal weight of glory. We need to allow that perspective to be the perspective through which we view our present experience. And the more that we learn, the more that we meditate on the reality 
of our inheritance, the more that we meditate on and learn from Scripture, the glory which shall be revealed to us in that day, the more that we understand those things and embrace those things through faith will be the more that we look through that lens, we look through that filter at the sufferings of this present age, this present experience, and the more that we'll see that suffering as a momentary and light thing, something that we can endure and endure through faith in Jesus Christ. The Lord calls us to overcome. What is he calling us to overcome for? It's because we're going to face suffering. We're going to face trial and tribulation. So he says, overcome, overcome, persevere, endure. And to him who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down on my father's throne. We'll reign with him if you overcome. What do you have to overcome? You overcome suffering. You overcome in uh, difficulty, adversity, and you overcome through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what is that faith? It's faith in him, in his person. He overcame for us, and he has overcome, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. So we're to overcome. We're to overcome through faith. We're to overcome in the power of the Spirit. And Paul is saying one of the means by which we overcome is by looking through the lens or looking through the view from the vantage point, if you will, of our heavenly glory. And the more that we see, understand, and embrace our heavenly glory, the more that our present suffering becomes light and momentary. It's through faith that we're to overcome. Paul says, Romans chapter 8, verse 18, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Pray with me. Father in heaven, I pray that these words would become our uh, exhortation as we face difficulty and face suffering in this present life. We know, Lord, that in, the present, in our present experience, we're going to wage warfare against our sin. There are many times when we're going to be beat about the head and shoulders, as it were, um, by our own remaining inward corruption. We're going to face the hostilities of this world as we seek to go outside the camp bearing your reproach. And we know that if the world hated you, it's certainly going to hate us also. And Lord, we're going to face living life in a fallen world. And just the consequences of the fall, the consequences of sin, sometimes the sin of others, sometimes our own sin. Just living in this fallen world, um, suffering under the weight of it, groaning as all of creation does, awaiting the full redemption of our body, our adoption as sons. And Lord, in our suffering, in our plight, uh, in this wilderness, and before you call us home, help us to wait well. Help us to wait and endure in faith. Help us to persevere in faith with our eyes fixed upon eternal and unseen things in the heavens, with our hearts and minds focused on the, the glory which shall be revealed in us. And may we, through the eyes of faith and the power of your Spirit, see our present experience, our present suffering as light, as momentary is not even worthy to be compared. In that, Lord, help us to follow in faith the example of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, for the joy set before him, with his eyes focused on that joy, counted the shame, or despised the shame, counted it a small thing, a light and momentary thing. He endured that for us. Help us to endure in the same way. Or in the example of Paul, how Paul suffered for the cause of the kingdom, a suffering at all for the sake of the elect that Christ would receive the full reward of his suffering and persevering through that with his eyes focused on the glory which shall be revealed in us at the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to follow his example and to suffer in the same way. We understand, Lord, in the circumstances that we face in this world, we see it. 
And we see that um, difficulty is coming. Difficulty is already upon us, and we're facing the effects of that. But suffering will grow as evil men and imposters grow worse and worse. So will the hostility that they unleash upon your people. And as it grows worse and worse, as it grows in intensity and severity as birth pains upon a pregnant woman, Lord, help us to be prepared with the eyes of faith, to live through, to endure uh, in faith with joy, uh, knowing, Lord, that you are in sovereign control. You've appointed these things for your own glory, for our good. And we pray, Lord, and that you would help us by your spirit to endure well, and that we would endure in a way that brings glory to our Lord Jesus Christ who endured for us. We love you. We thank you for this text, Romans chapter 8. Help us, Lord, to meditate on these things and live according to them for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen.